Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Good afternoon and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Mary Catherine Carmichael, your host today. I'm usually joined by Bob Salzberg, but he's off celebrating the holiday. Well, today we're going to talk about celebrating the 4th of July. Many Hoosiers will enjoy a long weekend of cooking and partying to celebrate the 4th of July. And we're going to speak with two local chefs today and Earth Eats producer Annie Corrigan, who's going to do kind of wear two hats. Yeah. She's going to be my guest and my co-host. So thanks for being here, Annie. Yeah, thrilled about it. We're going to talk about summer cooking and the Bloomington restaurant scene. So today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be taking phone calls or live chat comments, but we do invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting your comments and cooking tips to at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. After today's show, we'll be uh, looking for your comments on WFIU.org slash Noon Edition for recipes from our guests. So we are joined again by three people in the studio today. Uh, Annie Corrigan, who you know as the producer of Earth Eats on WFIU, is with us today. Hello. Uh, and I love the opportunity to work with Annie, so I'm so thrilled that yeah, you're here. we always have a good time. We do have a good time. Uh, Arlen Llewellyn is the co-owner and chef at Function Brewing. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. And we should say that is here in Bloomington. And Seth Elger is the manager and executive chef at No Coast Reserve. And that's also in Bloomington. Thank you so much. Always, uh, always great to be here. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Well, we have a lot to talk about. You know, Hoosiers, we love we love a good barbecue. We love a good cookout. And we sure love the summertime, especially after last winter. So I think we're all whooping it up every chance we get right now. Well, let's hope it doesn't rain. Yeah, I was just going to say every chance it's not raining. Right? We do. Yeah. Jeez. Well, let's start out. Um, let's talk, first of all, just how did you each get started in the restaurant business? Do you want to start, Arlen? Certainly. My husband and I had gotten to a point professionally where we were just ready to work for ourselves and work together. Um, I had been working in human resources for a number of years, and that's uh, a situation where you deliver a lot of bad news, and I wanted to mm -hmm. be able to deliver a lot of good news in the form of, of tasty food. And uh, we worked for about four and a half years and then opened our doors. During that time, I started working in restaurants. I had worked in college as a server, but had never looked at things quite the same way as a business owner would, and uh, took some time to work in the amazing kitchens and front of house of restaurants in this area, and was able to just sort of realize that there's a pretty amazing thing in pre preparing food that people want to come in and experience, and people work really long, hard hours, and if they choose to come into your doors and be entertained and fed by you, that's a pretty amazing thing. All right, great. How did you get started? I actually, I come from a, a fairly large family, a lot of farmland owned, and food's pretty important if you want free labor, uh, putting up hay and whatnot. <laughs> so food's always been uh, on the compass. I'm just the first one who really did it for a career. Uh, went to culinary school, straight out of high school, uh, cooked in France for a little bit, and then actually went to Purdue for hospitality management um, before helping open several restaurants and uh, kind of bouncing between here and Indianapolis and, and getting the uh, the skills necessary to, to do what I want to do. So is function your, or wait a minute, your No, no Coast, Coast Reserve. Yeah. Sorry, I got the restaurants confused there. Sorry. So is No Coast Reserve your first independent effort? It is the, the first effort where uh, it's of my design, yes. Mm -hmm. Before this, I was the uh, chef for Upland for three years. Uh, I helped open Finch's Brasserie as well as the sous chef there uh, for the first two years of their operation uh, and also ran food service operations for Connor Prairie. So you have really deep roots in the area, especially in Bloomington. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So each of you has now had a chance to experience the restaurant scene in Bloomington during the winter months and during the summer months, I would imagine, since our population in this town fluctuates by something in the neighborhood of 50,000 people, um, that those are two very different experiences. Would you like to address how, how you adjust to that kind of uh, change in your clientele numbers? 
Well, it is a certainly a significant adjustment, but there is a beautiful synergy because typically most restaurants in this town employ a fair amount of students, and so there's also fewer um, available staff members in the summer as well. So it works out pretty well. We just go a little bit leaner. Um, it gives us a chance to really refocus on the things that we want to do when you're in a really in the midst of a really busy week. Sometimes you lose that big picture perspective, and you're able to just uh, try out some specials, take some risks, and uh, refocus on what you want and prepare for the coming onslaught in August. Maybe take a vacation. <laughs> yes, take a vacation. <laughs> Critical for mental health. How about you, Seth? Uh, same thing there. Uh, summertime is always really great in that uh, there's a bounty of local ingredients to play with in the kitchen. Sadly enough, there aren't as many people there to appreciate them, but it does give time for uh, recipe development and long-term planning. Mm -hmm. um, this is the time of year that I do a lot of my calendar planning to get us into the next year. It's uh, planning out wine dinners or what social initiatives we're going to participate with, where we can do food donations, things like that. So is this a time of year you experiment a little more than maybe during the the rush of the heavier traffic? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I actually run shorter menus as well over at No Coast just because the season and what is available to us from our farmers changes so rapidly. Uh, what would usually be a 10-week to 12-week menu will get cut down to eight weeks uh, just so that we can roll with the punches with our farmers. So if you're a local person, this is a great time to dine out, not only because you don't have to fight the crowds, but because you can go out more often and have more different experiences at the at the restaurants that you love. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the local restaurants will run promotions because we, we do want to see those uh, local regulars. It is a time of year where a lot of people are cooking out in their backyards. Um, for better and for worse, we've had a lot of rain recently, so people have been dining out a little bit more uh, <laughs> because their backyards are flooded. But uh, uh, we appreciate any time that we see folks this time of year. Seth, I'm hoping you can talk about something, and Arlen, think about this as well. You both work in restaurants that operate sort of specially than other restaurants. Seth, you're a raw bar at No Coast. You serve a lot of seafood. Arlen, you're working really closely with a brewer, your husband. So talk about... Um, Arlen, let's start with you. Pairing food, new recipes with the beers that your husband's producing? We do do that a lot, although we've had requests for, from customers to do that a little bit more um, to pair because, I mean, really, uh, wine has gotten so much credit over the years for being you know, the ultimate partner with food, but I would argue beer really is because of the huge range of flavors from um, sweet to dry, from light-bodied to heavy-bodied, um, from toasted grain to rich roasted coffee or chocolate notes, um, floral and uh, fruity hop flavors that can all be components in beer. So the uh, the taste spectrum is wide open and, and pairs really well. We had a uh, first year anniversary party where we did a beer dinner paired with um, five courses and uh, five beers to go with it and had uh, a really great time doing that. So we'll look to do more of those in the future. And uh, we also really try to focus on having those one-on-one -on -one interactions with customers when they come in to try to find not only the beer that they will enjoy drinking, but also based on what they think they might eat, what would go really well with that. Your favorite beer for a summer cookout? Ooh, well, we have some really great light beers right now, which I think when it's really hot outside and you're sitting in the yard is really what you want. We have a smoked blonde with orange peel, a trig, and we have a the Divergent, which is a lemon ginger golden ale. Both of those are just going amazingly with uh, with summer cookout food. Seth, same hard-hitting question. Favorite <laughs> summer beer? Favorite summer beer? I really like Berliner Weiss. Uh, style beers this time of year, something low alcohol content, not going to hit me over the head with hops. Um, it It's kind of the, the beer drinker's answer to rosé, which is what people should be drinking on the wine spectrum this side of year. Um, I, I just really love those beer styles. Can you talk about working in a seafood restaurant in the middle of Indiana? You know, a lot of people... Well, it, it's a dicey, uh, it's a, a dicey project for sure. Uh, no Coast is owned... Um, same ownership as Butcher's Block. And we couldn't do what we do without those business ties. Um, the Butcher's Block has so many wholesale opportunities with regards to buying product from around the country, uh, getting seafood flown in from Hawaii, delivered to us by, via FedEx, things like that, that. That's really what enables us to do 
the the spectrum of things that we do. Um, this time of year is when our food shines for sure. Uh, everyone eats a little bit lighter when it's hot outside, and so raw oysters and shrimp cocktail and ceviche, um, gravlax, things like that go over pretty well. In July. So I've always learned that months with an R are the months that you eat oysters in. So where are you getting your oysters in July? Here's the thing about oysters. Uh, if they are farmed and cultivated in colder, deeper waters, that rule doesn't apply. So I tend to draw more from the West Coast, where the, the waters are deeper and colder. Also, via one of our uh, purveyors, I can get oysters out of New Zealand. and. Mm. We definitely get some really beautiful, super fresh product in New Zealand that definitely helps during the summer month. Not exactly local food, but really good food. We we use a lot of local farmers in other aspects. Um, our salads, we are always using local greens, local vegetables. Um, a lot of our specials uh, are rotating small plates that mm-hmm. we do as well. well. Let's talk about that a little bit more, the, the farm-to-table movement and how you do or don't incorporate that in, in your restaurant and how you do your, your menu and meal planning. Um, Seth, do you want to start with that? Sure. Uh, I think the best ethic is, based on the the slow food model, if you can purchase it locally and if it's not uh, damaging to you on a financial end of things as a, a business proprietor, that you should exercise that right to buy locally. We are lucky enough in Bloomington to have farmers who have been at this for a while who understand uh, contract wholesale work with restaurants. Uh, I've got several farmers who I can tell I need X, Y, and Z product, and I need them for the next 10 weeks. Yes or no, can you do this? Mm-hmm. And lo- more luckily, uh, more often than not, they come to the table with a yes answer. So they've learned to plant accordingly to accommodate your needs, so they've got things coming online when you need them in a staggered way. Yeah, they understand that uh, having product in a restaurant, especially a restaurant that can help you advertise yourself, uh, is a good thing. And that guaranteed kind of purchase across a 8, 10, 12-week period is a better gamble for them than, per se, a rainy stint during the farmer's markets. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Arlen, how do you incorporate the whole food-to-table or farm-to-table uh, movement in your, at your restaurant? Um, similarly to Seth, we uh, we have some great local farmers to partner with, and he's absolutely right. They are very comfortable with working with restaurants, with contacting you on a weekly basis, delivering um, at the beginning of the week, and uh, all of that is, is a pretty amazing resource that we have in Bloomington, I think in part because of this incredible market of farmers that have uh, has been slowly uh, growing. But I, uh, to add to that, I do think that one of the really cool things about look, working with local produce also is the opportunity to be surprised. Uh, when you're buying produce from a large-scale producer, you just don't get that. You know, mm-hmm. They come with, uh, you know, we, we've been buying zucchini from uh, Living Roots. We were last year and we are this year, and he has round zucchini right now. And was like, oh, those, uh, sure, we'll take those. Um, that's what you've got. And they're actually working even better for our purposes. Um, when they, they have a one-off vegetable that they thought you might want to try, you just don't get that opportunity. And I think that's a really special thing. Yeah, so I would think there'd be additional kind of inspiration coming mm-hmm. in those surprises. Get this. So I met with Arlen a little bit earlier this week, Mary Catherine, and uh, the carrot top pesto that you made for us, Arlen, can you describe the story of how you came up with the idea for this carrot top pesto? Absolutely. So I was speaking with Jim from Freedom Valley Farms, who will be our our host for the uh, farm tour dinner on July 26th, and we were discussing carrots and about a big purchase of them. And he said, "Well, do you want the tops too?" And uh, I hesitated, and he uh, suggested a carrot top pesto, which was a revelation to me. I know many people have already gotten on the carrot top pesto bandwagon, but I was late to the party, and uh, I, it was—it's amazing. And we uh, we just had a special run last week incorporating it, and it's that exact interaction with the the local grower that you know they are really keen to see their product used in lots of different and diverse ways, and people are missing an opportunity when they have a, just a basic transaction at that farmer's stand um, if they don't also engage them in some of the creative uses for those products. So that recipe is going to be on Twitter. For our listeners out there, we've got this at Earth Eats on Twitter, and Arlen, you serve it. It's just the most gorgeous sandwich of all time. Oh, thank you. Roasted carrots, cheese upon cheese upon cheese. <laughs> right. And what is the, the raisin spread on top? There's a raisin aioli um, and some uh, braised local collard greens. So check out 
Earth Eats on Twitter for that recipe. That sounds amazing. You know, again, good. if you weren't hungry when you started listening, I'm, I'm sure you are by now. I want to remind our listeners that today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your phone calls today or your live chat comments, but we do invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting your comments and cooking tips to at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. Let's talk about grilling now, Seth. If you can give some tips for people who are hoping to grill this July 4th. Maybe let's just start with a basic list of musts with a charcoal grill. Well, the charcoal is a must. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As opposed to gas, yeah. right? You're, you're no gas man. Uh, when, when it's an option, I like cooking over hardwood charcoal. Uh, you get flavor out of that, and you get more of a, a dynamic flavor development that way than what you do over a gas grill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my number one recommendation to anyone, especially those who are more novice home cooks, research brining. Uh, this time of year, most of the stuff that you're going to be cooking, outside of steaks, they have enough moisture in them that they don't need it, but chicken, shrimp, uh, lean proteins that are on the, the lighter side of things, uh, people need to get familiar with the process of brining. Uh, you dissolve salt and a little bit of sugar and typically some flavoring with some, some herbs and spices and whatnot in uh, hot water and then you're cooling it down to room temperature and you're letting that marinate for an hour, maybe two, three, four hours. Sometimes if it's a denser, larger thing like a turkey for Thanksgiving, you're going overnight. Uh, but that adds moisture and gives you an opportunity to add flavor to something uh, that you, you don't have the opportunity once it hits the grill. You know, my pet peeve on, on grilling out is people who just overcook things. And it kind of breaks my heart because you'll see, you know, something so beautiful, something that started out so beautiful, just cooked to death. Yep. How do you recommend people avoid that pitfall? Well, there are YouTube videos which will show you like finger placement, like touching fingers to your thumb, and then you touch the the pad of your your thumb. It helps you to understand doneness mm-hmm. of meats, especially uh, steaks, pork chops, whatnot. Um, the key to that also is resting meat. You don't want to just pull something off of the grill and throw it right on your plate and carve right into it because it's going to bleed everywhere and and you just lost all that juice. If you give it 10, 15 minutes on a platter or on a rack to cool down a little bit, mm-hmm. those juices redistribute and you wind up with a much more enjoyable uh, dining experience. Should it be covered while it cools? Not necessarily. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me then to another important summer food issue, especially as people are going on picnics. I think one reason people overcook food is on the grill especially is because they're worried about um, they want to get it done. They don't want to poison their friends and mm-hmm. family. Distracted with a beer in their hand, chasing kids. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about some summer food safety tips and maybe if there's any um, uh, you know, things that you can debunk that maybe you know the average person thinks is true and you've learned it not to be true, we'd love to hear that. So Arlen, would you be willing to start us off on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the first things you learn in commercial food preparation is that hot foods should stay hot and cold foods should stay cold. Uh, there is a beautiful thing about room foods, certain foods that are served at room temperature, um, but you really need to kind of plan for those. So, for instance, if you're having people over, you know, hummus is ideal at room temperature, but you, you know, you don't want to pull it out too far in advance and uh, you want to sort of plan on when you're going to be serving guests. And uh, often in the cookout situations, I think the most common mistake is things that are um, salady um, that might sit out for too long. I know that it is a challenge because we certainly had parties where, you know, people drop in throughout the day. And so you're talking about a 10-hour event and mm-hmm. people are just grazing on the same mayonnaise-based potato salad for hours. And that's one of those situations where I would start to get pretty nervous. So <laughs> um, I would focus on either having a, a particular serving time or keeping things inside ice baths. Uh, in uh, order to keep things safe. And another thing to, to think about, too, is maybe you have uh, more of the product in the refrigerator. Uh, the the safety window, uh, the danger zone, if you will, for bacterial growth is, is four hours. Oh. Uh, inside of four hours, if something is going to grow, it's going to grow exponentially within those four hours. So if anything has been out, like a potato salad or a coleslaw, pasta salad, starches are a really bad thing uh, for lengthy periods of time. After four hours, you should 
pitch it and bring mm-hmm. out new. What about if it's instead of a mayonnaise-based salad, if it's an olive oil-based salad, do you have the same concerns? Under same the, concerns. Same concerns. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw something cute at a party recently. I'll just share my little fun fact for what it's worth. Um, they had a baby pool full of ice, and mm-hmm. they sunk their dishes into the ice in the baby pool, which seemed like a pretty smart thing. You know, it was a carry-in, so everybody had room to keep their dishes cold. And Another hmm. recommendation I would make, too, for everyone uh, – Buy gloves for at home. Uh, latex gloves can be purchased cheaply at Sam's Club, grocery stores, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, if there's a latex allergy in the family, you can buy nitrile, uh, which is what we use at the restaurant. It's a 8 to $10 purchase, and you've got 200 of them in a box. Anytime you're handling raw meats in particular, uh, definitely use those. Um, that'll definitely help prevent any cross-contamination or mm-hmm. any kind of issues there. Yeah. Can I share my cross-contamination pet peeve? Yes, please. Uh, I've been at many a cookout and uh, been silently horrified uh, regarding <laughs> misuse of tongs. Uh, because now a spatula, I think, is inherently a cleaner thing because you're coming up on the underside of the meat that's been directly on the flame. But if you're coming at it with tongs and the top part of the tong is touching the raw part of the chicken, uh, that's no bueno. So um, I, I believe in either uh, spatula use or washing tongs after the meat has been thoroughly uh, tossed on the grill. Along the same lines, you have to get a clean platter. You can't bring the oh, food yes. out to the grill on a platter and then put it back on that same platter after it's cooked. I've been that guy that has left a cookout before <laughs> not eating because of seeing things like this. Oh, wow. Ooh, you guys, can we get back to the food? <laughs> Jeez. No more cootie talk. What a downer, you guys. <laughs> Think of the lives we're saving, Annie. Think of the lives we're saving. Let's get back to food. All right, here we go. <laughs> so, Arlen, I think this is a question for you. Earlier this week, we got a, a question on Twitter, and it was from someone who doesn't have a grill, but yet wants to get that grill flavor in her holiday food. Your kitchen at Function is a bit of a special place. You don't have a range. You don't have a stovetop, right? So you're sort of getting creative with how you do things. It seems like this is a question for you to answer. Um, Well, thank you. Yes, we do have to be a little creative because uh, we are limited in the methods of cooking um, in our kitchen. Uh, In terms of how to impart that grill flavor, uh, one, certainly you've got the broiler option of your oven. um, That can work really well. And also some type of smoke. Um, You can do that in, uh, in a closed pot on your stove. We don't have the option of doing that at Function, but it would work really well in a home kitchen. Um, so you could get that smoke flavor um, soaked up um, in in something, in another manner. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, because as you were talking about grilling, I didn't hear you even chuckle. I didn't hear you mention anything about throwing on different wood chips or anything like that. Is that a technique that you like? or uh, Wood chips really... Are, they're only going to really do anything if you're going to have the lid on and you're looking for a, a more of a smoking or, or a smoking grilling combination kind of cooking style. Mm-hmm. If you've got the lid off, wood chips don't do you very much good. Uh, another option above and beyond wood chips would be even uh, fresh herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to set back sage, thyme, rosemary, stems. Uh, definitely use the, the herbs themselves in, in the food. Mm-hmm. But the stems, say you're going to be grilling uh, chicken or fish, something like that, uh, or smoking those over, over a, a charcoal grill, you can throw those stems on there and even like citrus zest, things like mm-hmm. that, crushed garlic, and you wind up with some really, really uh, awesome flavors from that. That sounds great. Did you want to add anything to that? No, I. That sounded delicious. Anytime you want to grill some I just herb, saw your, uh, herb roasted things for me, I'm down. So. I saw your wheels turning. I think that's what was was going on. What about liquid smoke? In response to that person's concern, do you ever use liquid smoke in any of your? I don't. But one recommendation I would make uh, to that person that doesn't have the grill in their home, if you're looking for the grill marks, cast iron. Uh, mm-hmm. They actually make cast iron pans with grill uh, grates in them. Those work beautifully. Uh, we actually use them at the restaurant because we don't have a grill at No Coast either. We use cast iron on gas range, uh, and we go that route. Another option, there are uh, a myriad of smoked salts available, uh, different sea salts and things like that. And you can buy them based on the wood type, alder, mesquite, hickory. Uh, those impart really great flavor, too. And so you get some of that uh, outdoor cooking flavor without having to be cooking outdoors. Well, while we're on the topic of grilling, let's talk about, um, you know, we everybody kind of goes to steaks and, and hamburgers and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, maybe 
portobello mushrooms. But what are some other things that may not come to the average person's mind that can be grilled with great success in your experience? Arlen, do you want to start? Um, one is potatoes. Those are one of my favorite things to have on the grill. And um, they're great just on their own. And they also turn into an amazing potato salad. Tell us how to do this. Um, well, it's depending on the size of the potato. You, I might recommend parboiling them um, first so that they're just you get a, just the tiniest little bit of resistance when you pierce it with a, a knife or fork. Mm-hmm. Um, pull it out of the water, let it cool down, and put them on some skewers and get them on the grill. Um, so they, are we talking about the smaller ones, like the um, new potatoes? or You can absolutely use almost any potato. Some might work a little better. I've had a great success with those red potatoes. If you're doing a bigger potato, you're going to want to chop it up into smaller slices. But, you know, Yukon Golds give you that really nice buttery flavor. So uh, that can be a great option as well. Um, So you're going to grill them, uh, get nice marks on them, and they really on that charcoal grill, they're going to soak up that smoke flavor. It's really amazing. And then I would just toss them lightly in a vinaigrette, maybe sun-dried tomato vinaigrette with some Kalamata olives, um, lots of black pepper, uh, and it will be a great Entree or side item at any grill party. That sounds great. Do you have to um, coat them with any olive oil or anything before you put them on the grill? Absolutely. I believe in a little bit or either that or uh, oil your grill grates before Mm -hmm. it goes on. But there should be a little bit, um, to, especially because potato doesn't have any natural fat to bring to the party. Right, right. Seth, what are your ideas that maybe wouldn't come to a person's mind unless they were a trained professional like yourself? One of my favorite vegetables, and it's the... It's the underdog. It's the the worker in the kitchen. Onion. Uh, we like to cut onion into slabs, about an inch thick, and you can throw those on your smoker on your grill, and you can cook those up, and incorporate them into pasta salads or just break them up into rings and put them on top of your burger or whatever. I think grilled onion is absolutely fantastic. Uh, another one this time of year that works really well for um, seafood and chicken and things like that. Grill your citrus. Cut your lemons, your oranges, your grapefruit, whatever you're you're going to use to to douse the protein in afterward. Uh, cut them in half and really char up that cut surface. It will uh, convert any any uh, non sugar more uh, complex compounds into sugar. So it'll make it a little bit sweeter. It starts to caramelize a little bit. Uh, It makes fantastic dressings as well. Uh, It releases the pectin in the citrus. And so you wind up with really nice thick vinaigrettes uh, from that citrus as well. What a great suggestion. I'm going to try that immediately. And you know what? On Twitter... Everybody who's listening out there, we're going to post these suggestions at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. The conversation is going to continue in just a few moments. We're going to take a break here at Noon Edition with Seth Elgar of No Coast Reserve, Arlen Llewellyn of Function Brewing. Before we go to the break, plug the farm tour that you're both going to be a part of coming up in in July. Be there, be there, be there. (laughs) What is it? Tell us what it is. Uh, On July 26th in Freedom Valley Farm in Freedom, Indiana, um, we will be... Uh, providing an amazing spread of Latin and Mexican-inspired food in the middle of a field. It is really a unique experience. You get the creature comforts of a nice table and chair and linens, uh, but you're eating this amazing, freshly prepared food um, with locally sourced ingredients, and you are in the middle of a field. It really doesn't get more picturesque than that. The the reverse of the farm to table. We're going to bring the table to the farm, (laughs) and you folks just have to find yourselves there. And get this... I've got the recipes that they're going to prepare at this dinner. And so we'll talk about that coming up in the second half of Noon Edition. If you want to get a jump start on seeing pictures of these recipes, seeing the recipes right now, maybe you just want to run to your kitchen and make them, they're also on Twitter at Earth Eats and at Noon Edition. So I hope people stick around to hear our tasty treats. Stay tuned for part two of Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. 
And welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm usually joined by Bob Salzberg, but he is off celebrating the holiday. But I am happy to be joined in the studio with uh, three guests, uh, one of whom is also functioning as my co-host today. And you know her. It's Annie Corrigan from Earth Eats on WFIU. Also in the studio is Arlen Llewellyn, the co-owner and chef at Function Brewing, and Seth Elger, the manager and executive chef at No Coast Reserve. And we are talking about summer food and if Believe me, you are going to want to have a snack candy in order to get through (laughs) the second half of this show without losing your mind because everything sounds so delicious. Um, I should mention that uh, today we are not live. We are pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your phone calls or live chat comments, but we do invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting your comments and cooking tips to at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. And if you follow us on Twitter, you're going to get some great bonuses, and those are Yeah, we have plenty of recipes, lots of pictures as well to entice you at Earth Eats. I want to talk about a couple uh, make-ahead recipes that I both chatted with you about a couple weeks ago. Recipes that if people make today, they could maybe be enjoying tomorrow on 4th of July. So, Seth, let's start with you. These taqueria pickles, I'm looking at a picture of them right now. Onions, carrots, jalapeno peppers. Describe what these are. If you go to uh, more traditional style taqueria, if they're doing it right, they're going to uh, also have some house-made pickles there. It's a little something to, to – it brings a little bit of acidity. It brings a little bit of sourness, a little bit of heat as well to a meal. It's a, a mixture of carrot and onion, uh, green peppers, uh, typically a hot chili, uh, Mexican oregano, garlic. Uh, above and beyond that, it's a normal pickle brine. It's a little salt, a little vinegar, a little water. Um, we make this at the restaurant as a slaw to put on top of fish tacos, but the recipe we gave you is for more of a rustic style, larger pickle. And by all means, if someone makes them, um, I might recommend uh, maybe leaving them out on the the counter um, for a couple hours to try to let them infuse a little bit more, but those definitely work uh, in a pinch. And you know, if you're making these taqueria pickles, then you could put them on top of the eggplant tacos that you made Mm. yesterday, Arlen. So describe the the make-ahead process for these eggplant tacos. Uh, Well, the eggplants are marinated. I, uh, for sake of clarity, called it chipotle marinated eggplants because I didn't want to confuse the vegetarians. I was tempted to call it chorizo marinated eggplant because that is, in fact, essentially what it is, a chorizo marinade. Typically, um, beef and pork are marinated in this mixture. And uh, it's an incredible combination of... uh, acid and heat and um, and smokiness. And so I thought, why do it? Does it need to be contained only to meat? It could uh, apply to lots of other amazing vegetables. So uh, we marinated some eggplant in that uh, without the skin to sort of avoid that eggplant bitterness. And it uh, does, does great a day or two in advance. So you can prep that up for your, uh, your event and uh, throw it on the grill at the last minute. Uh, you made a little uh, creamy cilantro lime slaw to serve with them and some uh, pepper jack but uh, those taqueria pickles would be a great accompaniment as well. So in that case you slice the eggplant like a patty basically. Absolutely or you can even do it in long planks to save yourself a little bit of trouble on the grill. I mean it's really personal preference um, but yeah you can't really go wrong as long as the eggplant slices are decently thick. I wouldn't go smaller than a half an inch. You could probably go up to an inch just so that you still have some hardiness in the vegetable to um, withstand the intensity of the marinade. Right. And you don't want to dry it out like we talked about before. Right. Absolutely. So I got to tell you, when I was at Function chatting with Arlen, her husband came up. Did they feed you these? <laughs> I mean, oh, I guess were... my invitation blew off the porch. <laughs> you know, you know yeah, next thanks. time. Yeah. Next time. They were delicious. Thank you. But so what he was saying as he's brewing beer in the basement, he came up to put in his two cents about the taco. Put the cheese in first. Put it in your shell first when the shell is warm. Put all your goodies on top of the cheese so it melts the cheese. And Arlen said, no, no, no. Oh, this is probably a fight we'll be having to our dying day. Um, taco construction is a little contentious in our household. Uh, I think it's important uh, to to build the taco based on your own preference. I have a childhood association of having the cheese on top. So I do concede my husband's point on the nice, melty quality of the cheese on the he bottom. He is an engineer. Yes. He, he did want to engineer the perfect taco, but um, I had a, a childhood uh, memory that I wanted to fulfill. 
and preserved. Yes. <laughs> so sort of a taco hack, sort of, <laughs> yes. depending on your point of view. Well, um, you know, as we have guests come to our homes during the holidays, everybody seems to have some kind of a food limitation now. Um, more people than ever are vegan, um, certainly lots and lots of vegetarians. And we have the gluten-free challenge um, that is also uh, becoming more and more prominent. What do you guys recommend? Uh, let's say, you know, you've got a core group maybe that are old school Hoosiers who, you know, want to have some beef, want to maybe have some pork, something along those lines, but you want to be able to satisfy those other guests who have some some limitations, what do you recommend? I like thinking about um, dishes that can have individual elements subbed out to still create a cohesive meal and also to make your life a little bit easier as the as the cook and host. So, um, for instance, uh, a great uh, summer grill option I've always thought are um, eggplant grilled eggplant parmesan sandwiches. <laughs> so you um, marinate eggplant slices in so essentially an Italian dressing or vinaigrette, um, roasted red peppers, um, marinara. Uh, is uh, stacked onto pieces of grilled bread and some fresh mozzarella. So in that situation, you could easily add a, a, a delicious grilled chicken patty for, which would also be great marinating that Italian dressing. Um, for the carnivore, you could um, sub out the bread altogether or substitute a gluten-free bread for um, the gluten-free among us. And mm -hmm. uh, you can also just serve it as is as a great vegetarian option. So it just with the same amount of effort into putting into one meal, you've created some customized options for um, your friends with limitations. That's really smart. And you don't run yourself into the ground basically trying to put together two separate menues. Seth, yeah. what are you, I, you we, I saw you shaking your head. We, That's we a good idea. We have to work uh, smarter, not yeah. harder. Yeah. Um, one thing I really like, uh, especially summertime, bib or butter lettuce uh, makes great lettuce wraps. You look at Korean food, a lot of things are eaten in lettuce wraps. Uh, that gets you around the the gluten-free end of mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. You can do something, even the, the eggplant you were talking about would work really well in that uh, you just wouldn't want to assemble them ahead of time because mm -hmm. the lettuce would wilt a little bit. But uh, we actually do our fish tacos at the restaurant in bib lettuce. That's, uh, uh, that's such a crunch, great preparation, and, yeah. And you don't wind up weighing down with do you put the cheese on the bottom? <laughs> we, the, the fish taco doesn't get cheese, but uh, I understand where both of them are coming from. Uh, thermal dynamics, you would want to melt the cheese that way. But with customer uh, association, if they don't see the cheese on top, they're going to think that they got robbed. So mm -hmm. I'm going to side with Arlen on this, <laughs> oh. even though... I drink Steve's beer. <laughs> now, neither one of you mentioned tofu that I noticed. What about the chipotle marinade with the tofu? Um, I would have some hesitation just because tofu is on the softer side. I think the marinade might be converted into a sauce to be sort of smeared on the tofu at the end. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps more of, uh, I might recommend maybe a tempeh instead, something with a little bit more structure to it um, as a meat alternative. Okay, great. You know, I'm wondering about all this rain we've been getting and seeing more rain in the forecast in the coming days. I just wonder how you've been interacting with your farmers, how their harvest has been affected by this wacky summer weather that yeah. we've had. Uh, certain things are doing okay, certain things not so well. Um, black raspberries have been brutally punished uh, by this rain. They tend to shrivel up and stop producing. Uh, in intense rain. So black raspberries, not so much. Blueberries are looking really gorgeous. Uh, raspberry plants seem to be doing okay as well. But um, I know a lot of people are worried about their onion and potato crops oh, because they're in the ground. They're worried about rot. Uh, also, this time of year, if you've got mole activity and the soil's really wet, they will go right underneath those things. They push them up, and then you wind up with a lot more exposure than what those crops really need. Now the Hoosiers, we're worried. How's our corn? How are our corn and tomato plants doing? Let's get let's get to if it. If it's knee high by Fourth of July, we should be okay on corn. Uh, but yeah, the the flooding in fields is a, a real serious worry. A lot of people, you wind up with a, a season like this. You don't even try to go back and replant. You just wipe the board. Here's where we need to we need to hear from farmers on Twitter. So if mm -hmm. you're listening right now and you grow food. Tell us how your harvest season is going. We are at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. We want to hear from people who are struggling to grow food, maybe crops that are surprisingly great because of all the rain. Arlen, how are you dealing with your farmers in, in this wacky weather? 
So far, the um, the produce that we purchase has not been um, not been affected, but I guess we'll see. The our our biggest source is for um, eggplant, which aren't coming in quite yet, and and tomatoes, and uh, and uh, we'll see. But so far, the um, the greens that we buy and the um, squash are uh, and onions are holding up really well. Mm-hmm. So, what is great to eat right now, and what are you excited about being able to work with in the near future? Ooh, uh, right now there's uh, some great fruit to be had, um, some uh, peaches and apples and berries. Um, we are enjoying a ton of uh, great squash, as I mentioned, and um, some herbs already. The basil is uh, not plentiful at the market yet, but it's still um, it's definitely growing. I, I think we'll start seeing a lot more of that at the market. I'm really excited for peppers. As a, as a spice lover, um, I like those nice, mature. Bell peppers are great, and you can get those now, but um, those nice, fiery red jalapenos and, uh, and other sources of of heat and endorphins uh, coming our way soon, hopefully. <laughs> Seth, what is great to eat right now, and what are you looking forward to being able to work with in the near future? As Arlen said, <clears throat> berries are fantastic. Uh, the the larger, um, more structurally sound greens, like your Swiss chard and things like that, are coming in really well. Uh, leeks are starting to become available, and fennel as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I like this transition period, because I'm waiting for tomatoes and corn. And our next menu will feature those pretty heavily, uh, but I don't want them until they're ready. So right, right now we're we're just taking in the bounty, uh, especially from the availability of fresh herbs, like Arlen mentioned. Just having basil and flatleaf parsley and and beautiful dill and things like that to work with is awesome. So several of the things you mentioned, I've got grilling on the brain right now. So like the leeks and the fennel that you mentioned, oh, would you put those on the grill? You could. Uh, my recommendation there would be to uh, use the grill to impart more like a char and roast kind of flavor. Maybe split the leeks in half mm-hmm. and rinse them out real well. You could grill them up and then you could uh, use those to finish up a salad or work them into your potato salad, something like that. Um, as far as the fennel goes, you have some grilled fennel with salmon or uh, <clears throat> nice halibut, something like that would be fantastic. And Arlen, now that you've got me thinking about grilling potatoes, mm-hmm. my, my brain goes to squash, both kind of the zucchini kind of squash, which is a natural on the grill. But now I'm starting to think, what about acorn squash? What oh, yeah. about butternut? Mm-hmm. Everything all good on the grill. Absolutely. Um, if you, as I said before, with the potatoes, you're either going to want to par cook it or you're going to want to go low and slow because with a, a vegetable like that, you do run the risk of getting it charred on the exterior and raw still on the center. So you want to plan for that, either uh, slowly slowly cooking it on the grill and then um, and then charring it off um, after you're sure the center is, is good to go or par cooking it first and then finishing it on the grill. But, you know, that um, sweet dense unctuousness of those um, hearty uh, autumnal squashes are great paired with that roasted flavor from the grill. That's so great. Well, I want to remind our listeners that today on Noon Edition, we are celebrating the 4th of July by talking about one of the most popular parts of the day, food and mm-hmm. beer. Uh, the show was pre-recorded, but we still encourage you to tweet at Noon Edition or at Earth Eats, and we'll share your comments, and we will also be sharing recipes. Yeah, what do we have so far? We've got a carrot top pesto. We've got eggplant tacos, chipotle eggplant tacos. We've got taqueria pickles. So many more recipes. We want to know what you're cooking for 4th of July tomorrow, so post them at Earth Eats on Twitter. I want to talk fish on the grill. Mm. So when I'm looking up just interesting articles about food, Seems like the number one thing that people have the most question about and the the thing that people have the most different parts of advice about, grilling fish. For some reason, this is really baffling to people. You're Mm. both nodding your head and looking a little curious at me. So, yeah, it's hard to grill fish. I think it's something that most home cooks don't have the experience with. And a lot of people are afraid to to put their grill, you know, to borrow the cultural term, to 11, you need to you need to have it up on high. Uh, if you don't want your fish to stick, your grill needs to be hot. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, I've, I think, are they have a lot of questions and they're afraid to cook seafood at home because of 
it, the fact that it is a, a more expensive purchase than if they were to buy chicken or you know a, a sirloin or something like that. There's some understood hesitation there, and so there are a lot of questions asked. Um, being that the restaurant is owned by Butcher's Block, I get people coming over from Butcher's Block all the time. I'm making a pate or doing something out front, shucking oysters, and I'm talking to a customer about what they need to do with the halibut they just bought next door. Um, <laughs> It happens more than what people think. <laughs> One of the primary questions you always get asked about grilling fish. How do I not ruin this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, be- yes. I bought an, a whole red snapper one time, and I was like, I feel such a responsibility. I have this beautiful big fish. I don't want to screw this up. It was very stressful. It turned out all right, but it was actually a fairly stressful experience. I, like most things in life, though, people they can't be afraid to experiment with food. Uh, the The best part about experimenting with food is you're going to eat again. So unless you do it really wrong, you will eat another meal. And so you can you can improve upon that. The problem is this is a really high-stakes meal. Yeah. <laughs> like a July 4th cookout, it's, that's high stakes. So Arlen, what is a foolproof fish-on-the-grill recipe that you could recommend to people? Well, uh I I I'm struggling to think of a more sensitive term for it because well, as a kid going camping we always called them hobo dinners but yeah. um, the aluminum foil pouches um, mm-hmm. I think if you're intimidated by you know the the fish potentially sticking on the grill plate you could just take that out of the equation altogether you can pack um, maybe a little bit of butter some great herbs certainly some vegetables that will cook in a similar um, time to the fish pack them up in aluminum foil and if you're doing that charcoal you'd actually get them right onto the on the charcoal itself if you have a, a camp fire you could uh, get it directly in there and you know keep an eye on it it's still going to overcook um, if you neglect it for too long but it gives you a little bit more of a buffer and that smoke flavor can just really get into the pouch tips from you seth i was gonna echo what she just said we we ran a um, sole on papillote at the restaurant uh, parchment paper mm-hmm. in lieu of the mm-hmm. the foil but uh yeah uh, 11 to 15 minutes with a six ounce fillet of nice light fish on some vegetables uh, works beautifully. Okay, so each of you put together really quickly in your head a a menu for people coming to your house on the 4th of July. What are you going to serve? What are you going to serve? Your guess. Um, I would out of ease and out of the... We're all about ease. (laughs) I, I think that Korean food, because so much of it is cooked on a grill and over charcoal, uh, Korean food lends itself beautifully to that. So I would lean toward uh, some sort of you know, lettuce wraps, uh, either marinating the short ribs uh, five to seven days in advance or getting some real thin sliced uh, ribeye and doing bulgogi. Uh, kimchi can be purchased pretty readily nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make our own at the restaurant and sell at the market. But um, uh, yeah, having kimchi and a bunch of pickled vegetables out and then, you know, throwing a couple of mackerel on the grill and just doing a bunch of grilled fish. I, I would go that route. I would come to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Arlen, same question. Um, I was also thinking about ease. Um, I would maybe start with some sort of uh, lemon mustard uh, vinaigrette as a, a base marinade that you can do several different things with. You could throw some chicken breasts in that and finish them off on the grill. Um, when you grill your potatoes, you could toss them. Obviously, let's talk about mm-hmm. food safety again. Once the um, mar- marinade has been used on the chicken, that's done. That's a done deal. So you've reserved some of that vinaigrette aside. And then Very uh, that's never touched the raw <laughs> yeah, chicken. Right. And I uh, can drizzle that on those grilled potatoes. Um, maybe a nice salad on the side. I... Uh, because I tend to get a little um, stressed by cooking all this food and entertaining guests, mm-hmm. I tend to prefer to try to compartmentalize them and do as many things in, as adva- in advance as possible so that I can enjoy my guests when they arrive. So I would focus on some things that weren't grilled at all that could just be prepared and, and waiting for your guests so that at most you're only trying to do one thing at a time. You know, mm-hmm. You're only cooking chicken breasts. You're only grilling the potatoes. You're not trying to cook multiple things at the same time. That's, I feel like, a recipe for stress. You know, we haven't talked about dessert yet. I was just going to oh. yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, so the last two minutes that we have, really quick, what are you serving for dessert, Arlen? Oh, I really want to go two directions. I want to just serve some beautiful watermelon wedges because it's always so refreshing and, and such a group activity to spit those seeds out. I was going to say, right. Yeah, but I also want something rich and chocolatey, some sort of hot fudge sundae. You're sitting out on the deck and um, able to just enjoy the weather and uh, and some richness at the same time. I like uh, sorbet, you know, if you're 
out and about. It's hot outside. Gin and tonic and a watermelon sorbet goes <laughs> pretty darn well together. Um, so something super fresh and light. You know, I've got a recipe for Seth's flan that he's going to serve at the farm dinner as well. Yes, so that's going to be on Twitter, at Earth Eats and at Noon Edition. It is dynamite. You're going to want to check that out. That sounds amazing. I'm going to be going old school with a fruit crisp. Oh. You know, tis the season, and you can throw any kind of fruit you want together, and it always turns one. out right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What a fun day this has been, yeah, right? Let's is... remind people again. Hop on Twitter for recipes, for photos, and if you're a farmer, we really do want to know how your harvest is going this season at Earth Eats and at Noon Edition. And uh, the farm tour dinner where on July 26th. How, how can people get more information about that? Um, you need to get a hold of Marsha Veldman over at uh, City of Bloomington Parks and Recreation. Okay. Anything, any other last thoughts from Earth Eats at this time of year? Let's get out of here and have some grilled food tomorrow. (laughs) Have a safe holiday. Enjoy food. Enjoy your adult beverages responsibly. And and Monday is going to be tough back at work, yeah, isn't it? that's right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Mary Catherine Carmichael, uh, the usual host, co-host of Noon Edition, Bob Salzberg. We miss you. We look forward to seeing you when you get back. I've been joined by Annie Corrigan, who was my co-host and is the ongoing producer of Earth Eats here on WFIU. And thank you to Arlen Llewellyn, who is the co-owner and chef at Function Brewing. And Seth Elger is the manager and executive chef at No Coast Reserve. Have a safe and delicious 4th of July. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu.